I start rocking or I'll really give him something to cry about. <laughs> Beavis, if they didn't have like a part of the song that sucked, then it's like the other part wouldn't be as cool. Truer words were never spoken. <clears throat> and speaking of words, we have uh, this morning the beginning of our last book of Torah, book of Deuteronomy, known to our Jewish neighbors as Devarim, which is words. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahav. It takes 11 days, by the way, to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. Where are we? Let's review. So, if you remember, when we started Exodus, the Israelites were in Egypt, in slavery. And that sucked. And then God saved them out of slavery, delivered them from Pharaoh's armies, which were cast into the sea. And that was cool. And then He brought them out into the desert, which kind of sucked, except God took care of them, which was cool. And they ended up somewhere around there. Mount Sinai, where God gave them Torah, which was cool. And on Mount Sinai, which in Deuteronomy, for some reason, the Deuteronomist likes to refer to Sinai as Horeb. That's, I guess, his pet nickname for Sinai. Don't get thrown off by that. So they were at Horeb. <clears throat> and Yahweh, our God, said to us at Horeb, Moses says, you stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. See, God had promised His people a land. This land in particular. Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. And uh, after a while, God said to His people, all right, your pastor, 
is drawing the map all wrong. Sorry. Put an extra bay in there. They might have appreciated that. Okay. So he says, all right, I want you to go up into here. You've been here long enough. I want you to go up into here and attack. Go take this land. Right? I'm giving it to you. This is where you're going to be. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. This is Galilee. Known at the time as Kinneret. Jesus hung out there a lot. See, it all hangs together. He says, I want you to go and attack. Right? So as Yahweh our God commanded us, skipping ahead to 19, we set out from Horeb, went to the hill country of the Amorites, through all that vast and dreadful desert you've seen, and so we reached Kadesh Barnea. That was here where they were. And uh, Yahweh your God has given you the land. Go up, take possession of it, as Yahweh the God of your fathers told you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we're to take and the towns we will come to. And that was cool. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that Yahweh our God is giving us. But... You were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of Yahweh your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, Yahweh hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say that people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. And I said to you, don't be terrified, don't be afraid of them. Yahweh, your God, who's going with you, will fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. Remember Pharaoh, right? 600 of his marks, uh, top, top charioteers, now at the bottom of the sea. You saw how Yahweh, your God, carried you as a father carries his son all the way that you went until you reached this place, which was cool. But in spite of this, you did not trust in Yahweh your God, which sucked. Even though he went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp to show you the way you should go. And when Yahweh heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I'll give it to him and his descendants, the land he set his feet on because he followed Yahweh wholeheartedly and because of you Yahweh became angry with me also which sucked and said you shall not enter it either but your assistant Joshua son of Nun will enter it encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it and little ones that you said would be taken captive your children who do not yet know good from bad they will enter the land which will be cool I will give it to them and they will take possession of it but as for you turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea you had your shot you blew it don't go ahead and attack. Then you replied, we sinned against the Lord, which sucked. I mean, it sucked that we sinned good that we're admitting that. But now we're going to go up and fight just as Yahweh our God commanded you. Remember the story from Numbers and, and Moses is like, no, 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 no. You had, a sh- you had a chance. You said no. You said you're afraid. No, no, we're going to do it now. Now we're really going to do it. It's not going to turn out well for you. Yahweh said to me, tell him, don't go up and fight because I won't be with you. You'll be defeated by your enemies. 
So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against Yahweh's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you down like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way down to Hormah, which is another way of saying that they gave you a royal kicking. They beat you down all the way there. And so there you were. And there you would be for some time. You came back and you wept before Yahweh, but he paid no attention to your weeping, turned a deaf ear to your cry. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there, there around Kadesh Barnea. And then we turned back, set out toward the desert along the route, that toward the Red Sea as Yahweh directed me. And for a long time, we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Very long time, very long time around here. And now, he said, turn north. You're about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the descendants of Esau who live in Seir. Now, here's what we're talking about. Right here or so. Mount Seir. You see, it's a mountain. This is the Zered Brook, which is going to you're going to hear about. This up here is the Yarmuk River. This is the Jabbok River, and this is the Arnon River. Zered actually is a uh, many, uh, during much of the year is a wadi, which means it's a dry riverbed. Apparently, it's a very nice place to hike, provided that it's still a dry riverbed at the time you're trying to do it. <clears throat> and this was something of a border, right? So here, in this area, you have the Edomites, right? Descended from, anybody remember? Not Jesus. Descended from Esau, Jacob's brother Esau. A little bit of family uh, conflict here. Edom's on this side, and then on this side you got Moab, and then you got Ammon up here. All these people are going to figure into things. Remember, the Amorites were up around here. They also up around here. Then way up here you got the uh, Og, king of Bashan, whom we're going to hear about. So if you recall, Israel said to Edom, may we please come through your territory? And Edom said, no. And they said, we'll pay you. We'll pay tolls. We'll buy our water, buy our food. We'll pick up after our dogs. Unlike some neighbors around here, Edom came down with a massive army and decisively said no. So the people had to go around... We went on past our brothers, the descendants of Esau who lived in Seir. We turned from the Araba road, which comes up from Elath and Ezion Geber, traveled along the desert road of Moab. And Yahweh said to me, don't harass the Moabites or provoke them to war. I haven't given you any part of their land. 
have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession, right? Remember, both Ammon and Moab were descendants of uh, Lot and his daughters, in which you can read about in a very awkward story back in Genesis. The Amites used to live there. So this is a place where actually there are a bunch of giants. And then Yahweh said, all right, time to go. So cross the Zered Valley. They did. 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley. So this is the, the time of the wandering is over. And now we're getting to the point where God's people are getting ready to enter the land. So those of you who have found that all this action and numbers to be tiresome and really want to hear somebody give some speeches, you're in your sweet spot now. Because when we call Deuteronomy Dvarim, which is words, we're not joking. Basically, the whole thing is words. The, the most action-packed part of Deuteronomy, apart from the end where Moses dies, I'm sorry if I gave something away there, uh, is right now where Moses is recapping how they got there. So by then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp just as Yahweh had sworn to them. Remember, that whole faithless generation, he said, you're going to die in the wilderness, you're not going in, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. So they all died just as Yahweh had said. This seems to be a pattern, by the way, in Scripture. God says something's going to happen, it does. Yahweh's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. Now, when the last of the fighting men of the people had died, Yahweh said to me, Moses, Today, you're going to pass by the region of Moab at Ar. When you come to the Ammonites, don't harass them. Don't provoke them to war, for I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I've given it as a possession to the descendant of Lot's. So, set out now across the Arnon Gorge. Right? Right here. Cross it. Cross the Arnon Gorge. See, I've given into your hands Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his country, begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. So they were coming through here, and this area here was also controlled by the Amorites. Sion, the king of Heshbon, was not amused about this. So this very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They're going to hear about you, and they're going to tremble and be in anguish because of you. From the desert of Kedemot, I sent messengers to Sion, king of Heshbon, offering peace and saying, let us pass through your country. We will stay on the main road. We will not turn aside to the right or to the left. Sell us food to eat and water to drink for their price in silver. Only let us pass through on foot. Remember, this is what Moses is saying to Sion, the king, uh, the Amorites here up here. Moses says, just uh, let us pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for us. Now, is that what the descendants of Esau did for them? Did they let them pass through and just pay for their water? So what's Moses doing here? Hmm? Moses is engaging in international diplomacy. Until we cross the Jordan into the land that Yahweh our God is giving us. But Sion, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through, which was a big mistake on his part. For Yahweh your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands, just as he is now done. Remember, God, Moses is giving this, telling the story after all this had happened. Yahweh said to me, See, I've begun to deliver Sion and his country over to you, and I begin to conquer and possess his land. So when Sion and all his army came out and meet us in battle at Jahaz, 
the Yahweh our God delivered him over to us and we struck him down together with his sons and his whole army. At that time, we took all his towns, completely destroyed them, men, women, and children. We left no survivors, but the livestock and the plunder from the towns we captured, we carried off for ourselves. From Aror on the rim of the Arnon Gorge, from the town in the gorge, even as far as Gilead, not one town was strong enough for us. Yahweh our God gave us all of them, but in accordance with the command of Yahweh our God, you did not encroach on any of the land of the Ammonites, neither the land along the course of the Jabbok, nor that around the town in the hills. So next we turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle at Edre. The area we're talking about is up here. This is nowadays the Golan Heights. You may have heard about this in the uh, in the news. Some very good wine is brewed up there. Is a uh, uh, brewed, not brewed. Wine is made, fermented, delicious, drunk up there. Uh, Yarden, by the way. If you're ever invited to a Passover Seder, bring a bottle of Yarden. You'll be good. So we uh, turned and went up along the road toward Bashan. Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle at Edre. Yahweh said to me, don't be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you with his whole army and his land. Do to him just what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So Yahweh our God also gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. The whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan. All those cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars and motion detectors. And there were also a great many unwalled villages. We completely destroyed them, just as we had done with Sihon, king of Heshbon, destroying every city, men, women, children, but all the livestock and the plunder from their cities we carried off for ourselves. So at that time, we took from those two kings of the Amorites, from Sihon and from Og, territory east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge as far as Mount Hermon, which is way up here. Hermon is called Syrian by the Sidonians. Amorites call it Sinir, those crazy Amorites. So took all those towns uh, and all Gilead, all Bashan, as far as Salakan, Edre, town of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnants of the Rephaites, by the way. He was sort of the descendant of the giants. Uh, his bed, incidentally, in case you're into furniture, his bed was made of iron, was more than 13 feet long and, 16, and 6 feet wide, which could fit Andre the giant and many of his friends. It's still in Rabbah of the Ammonites, if you would like to go and visit it today. So, of the land that we took over at that time, I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites territory north of Aror by the Arnon Gorge. Remember, we got 12 tribes, and some of them are going to be here on the east side of the Jordan. So, on the east side of the Jordan, we're going to have land for Reuben and for Gad and for the eastern branch of Manasseh. There's a western branch. They get turf on the west side of the Jordan. But here in on the east side of the Jordan, Transjordan, is the, is the east Manasseh. So I gave them that land. The rest of Gilead, all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the whole region of Argob and Bashan used to be known as the land of the Raphaites. But we'll leave that alone. Uh, to the Reubenites and Gadites, I gave the territory extending from Gilead down to the Arnon Gorge and out to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. Why do you think it's important that we get all these details about these rivers and these places and these mountains and all these people? Any ideas? Establishing borders. Yep, that's important. Why else? 
Probably that, yeah, probably that more than Moses just having a geography fetish, right? Yeah, this stuff happened. This is what is tra- the, the author is trying to convey. This is the point. Last week when we had um, uh, Steve Fink here from uh, Oheb Shalom, the uh, reform rabbi, uh, they read this story very differently from how we do. Right? So as Steve was explaining to us, if he finds out that this is just a story, that this didn't happen, that really doesn't bother him very much. Right? Because he's part of a community that claims this story is their own and is formed by this story. And to him, it's the story that's alive. And even if the story isn't rooted in something that happened, not a big deal to him. Uh, our approach is different. Right? And, and it's clear here. I mean, there, you know, there, there are some subtle differences between the, the way that Moses is telling the story and the way it's told in 30-some chapters of Numbers. I mean, Moses is giving a digested, compressed form of the story. But... We have all of these details, all of these places, all of these names, I think, not just because somebody was trying to make it sound interesting and thought he'd throw in some interesting-sounding place names and people. He's, he's trying to tell a story about places that really exist, about people who really existed, about stuff that actually happened. The idea that God saved his people out of slavery, that he gave them his law, so that when they went into a land that he was giving them to live in well, this is an integral part of the story. The story, I think, doesn't work unless this stuff really happened. That's the way we treat it. And it was really, uh, I mean, it's been so instructive to have our rabbi friends come and tell us about it. And I think it was especially instructive last week to hear Rabbi Fink describe so eloquently a different approach, a different paradigm, a different way of understanding this text from the one we had. When I read these names and these places, it says to me, no, somebody is trying to get across that this stuff happened. And, and the book of Deuteronomy, as you'll notice, has a different style from the books that came before it. Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. There's, there's sort of a, a sense of a, of a common style that goes through them. Less so in Genesis, because it seems like Genesis is picking up some really, really old stories and weaving them in. But, but it, there's almost a jarring difference in the style when you get to Deuteronomy. Probably because Deuteronomy was written and or compiled by a different person at a different time from the other four books. And it's as important to that person as it was to the person who was writing Numbers to say this stuff happened. These are real places, these are real people, these are real events. And the point of telling the story is not just for history, not just for geography. What's the story that's being told? What's the big story that Moses is reminding his people of as he is sitting right here at uh, Mount Nebo from which you have a very nice vantage point west across the Jordan Valley into the land that God's about to give his people. The story Moses is telling is a story of God's faithfulness. A story of the people's unfaithfulness and a story of God's faithfulness despite the fact that the people kept being unfaithful. Right? It's a cool story. All the more cool because of all the bad things the people did. God's faithfulness is not negated by our unfaithfulness. In fact, can often look all the more impressive because of our unfaithfulness. 
the story that Moses is telling is one of a God who loves his people, who cares for them, who provides for them, who places them in a place where they can flourish, gives them everything they need to do so. Gave them his Torah, gives them security, gives them victory over their enemies. When they follow his commands, they do well. When they don't, bad things happen. But here, as Moses is standing on Mount Nebo, having told this story of what has happened, we get to the point where he is about to say, not what has happened, but what's going to happen. I commanded you at that time, Yahweh your God has given you this land to take possession of it. All your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of your brother Israelites. So you guys in East Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, just because you got your turf doesn't mean you, you don't have to go over and help fight to secure the land for your brothers. Now, your uh, wives, children, and livestock, they can stay in the town I've given you until Yahweh gives rest to your brothers just as he had to you after they've taken over the land Yahweh your God's giving them across the Jordan. After that, then you can come back and take the possession I've given you. But at that time, Moses said, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that Yahweh your God has done to those two kings, these really impressive people who had uh, big armies and a lot of land and in Og's case, a very large bed. Yahweh will do the same to you, uh, to all the kingdoms over there where you're going. Don't be afraid of them because Yahweh, your God himself, will fight for you. And Moses can make that promise of what's going to happen based on what has happened. God's track record through the whole history of his people has been one of faithfulness, even despite their unfaithfulness. And God is going to continue to be faithful when you enter the land. That's the message that Moses has for his people. I would posit that it transposes fairly easily into a modern-day key. No? That God is faithful despite our unfaithfulness. Many of us come here and we think about the, the ways that we have been unfaithful. And think, well, gosh, you know, I just blew it. There's no way God's going to take care of me now. There's no way He can use me. There's nothing that I can do that's going to be worthwhile. That's not true at all. Now, sometimes if you screw something up and then you try it again... Just like the Israelites going into the land, you know, you may have missed a chance. You may have to wait until another opportunity. But the point of all this is that God has given his people work to do. He is enabling them to do it. There is a a cosmic mission of reconciliation that they are on. And even as they mess up, God is still continually going to give them opportunities to serve him and to recognize his faithfulness. The same is true for us. Can we pray? Lord, we're grateful that despite our unfaithfulness, you are faithful. The fact that we are flawed does not prevent you from accomplishing your purposes. Lord, I pray that we would not be people who allow the mistakes we've made to permanently cripple us, but that we would receive the healing that comes through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would receive the comfort and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we would follow faithfully and do the things that you've called us to do. We'd be faithful to not do the things you haven't called us to do, but that you'd give us the grace to trust in you, to trust in your faithfulness.
pray that we would be a community of people who encourage one another to do that and who are known as people who do that. And pray that all this would be to your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You never change. You never fail, oh God. True are your promises. True are your promises. You never change. You never fail, oh God. 